Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This is an RNZ podcast. This week, amazing grace after nearly 50 years of waiting. You haven't heard anything yet. Aretha is just a stone thing. In The Farewell, Grandma is dying. She's just not allowed to know it. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Don't you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go, Nana will find out right away. And the unsung heroines of Kurdistan, the girls of the sun. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. The movie business is essentially seasonal, and the seasons reflect the compromises that the studios have to make every year. What do audiences want? Do they want their movies good? Do they want them to be entertaining? Do they want them to be suitably budgeted so they can afford the right talent and enough time to be made properly? Well, it seems you can't have all of these, but if you're lucky, you can maybe have two out of three. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. There's two of them and two billion dollars worth of us. If the three of us don't work together, billions of people will die. The blockbuster season sees films that plump for entertaining and big budget. Let pointy-headed critics sneer at their perceived lack of quality. The makers of The Big and Dumb are willing to cry all the way to the bank. Quality and entertainment value are the province of the film festival season. Even if many of these international films struggle to get a tenth the budget any blockbuster can command. Meanwhile, the prestige films that combine a decent budget and critical acclaim turn up at the end of the year in time for the award season. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. It's like a pipe dream. This is the dream. It's conflict and it's compromise. It's very, very exciting. All right, they may not be that exciting, but they certainly amp up the CV of big-name Hollywood directors in between more commercial fare. But between the big three seasons, blockbuster, film festival and Oscar time, there's the orphan spring cleaning season. Just whistle while you work. These are films that have struggled to find a home the rest of the year and are cluttering up the shelves. Time to get them out to make room for some upcoming quality product. I generally rather like the spring cleaning season. At least there's plenty to choose from. There's often an embarrassment of riches. Well, all right, not necessarily riches, but certainly some embarrassment. We didn't stop it. Pennywise. The clown. We can't let it happen again. 
Too many films can mean tough choices, but not always. Because I couldn't face the Stephen King film It a couple of years back due to an intractable phobia of clowns and Stephen King films, I was saved from the prospect of the second one. And I think I might pass on Dan Carter, a perfect ten, too. There's so many things behind the scenes that people don't really see. I'd go back to my hotel room and I'd be broken. I just had tears coming down my face. The media is harsh, hurtful, devious. Why should I add to the former All Blacks' troubles with the media? Instead, I was attracted to two films that reflected a rise of interest in women filmmakers and different cultures. The Farewell contrasts Chinese and Chinese-American attitudes to dying, while Girls of the Sun is about an all-women army unit fighting ISIS in Iraq. But first, nearly 50 years in the making, the film of the historic gospel album Amazing Grace. I'm the young lady that we've all been waiting to hear. She can sing anything. Anything. My sister is Aretha Franklin. In 1972, Aretha Franklin was not only phenomenally popular, according to the documentary Amazing Grace, she was coming off the back of 11 number one singles. She was arguably the best singer in the world in any genre. So when Lady Soul announced she wanted to make a live gospel album, the response was simple, pick a date. And while you're at it, would you like a big Warner Brothers film of the event? Aretha Franklin, who in many ways defined the term diva, graciously consented at the time. Hollywood veteran Sidney Pollock was brought in to direct, despite no experience covering a music event, and Aretha chose the new Bethel Baptist Church in downtown L.A. with a choir run by her old mentor, the Reverend James Cleveland. Aretha's got some fantastic people that came this week, helped us to put together what you're going to witness tonight. Great fellows that work in the band. It's been a privilege and a pleasure to work with them. The icing on the cake was Aretha's own band, featuring superstar rhythm section Chuck Rainey and Bernard Purdy at the peak of their powers and what could go wrong. Well, the film Amazing Grace shows what might have happened in 1972 if nothing had gone wrong. In fact, the footage refused to sync up and while the recording of the event became the most successful gospel album ever made, the prickly Aretha refused to allow any of the film footage to be released. Even when digital technology allowed new director Alan Elliott to make the film as it was originally intended, Aretha still forbade its use, at one stage even suing the film company. Only her death last year allowed it finally to be seen.
That's Aretha, and this film reflects what you take on when you film the greatest singer in the world. She says about five words in the whole movie, and when she's not singing, she has a strangely enigmatic expression, as if she's sizing up the time and the place. She could have very easily have gone into a studio and done this album, but she wanted to do something live. And the only reason we want to do it live is to get the audience participation. So now those of you here got to sound like about 2,000. Can you sound like 2,000? Let me hear. Come on. After all, she started out in gospel with her equally famous father, the Reverend C.L. Franklin. Is this a backward step? But when she sits at the piano, Aretha was a phenomenally gifted pianist too, and starts singing Marvin Gaye's Holy Holy, it all changes. The phrase, the best singer in the world, may need some clarification, and the entirety of the film, Amazing Grace, is devoted to clarifying it. It's not just the notes, or the phrasing, the gaps between the notes, or the total control Aretha displays. It's the crazy daring within the songs. Amazing. I mean, most people who sing Amazing Grace start low so they can build up to a big, stirring high note at the end. Not the Queen of Soul. She starts high and then takes off in totally unexpected directions while the audience and the Southern California community choir struggle to keep up. That same Among the audience are a mesmerised Mick Jagger and Charlie Watts, taking time off from recording their own gospel-infused album, Exile on Main Street. And they're surrounded by L.A. church folk in their Sunday best, whooping, cheering and at one stage tap-dancing for the Lord. You haven't heard anything yet. Aretha is just a stone thing. In the middle of it all, there's Aretha, effortlessly amazing every time she opens her mouth. In the audience are her two old teachers, James Cleveland and her father, the Reverend Franklin. But even they concede there's nothing they or anyone can teach her now.
When the romantic comedy Crazy Rich Asians hit the cinemas last year, it established two things. First, that China was definitely hot, particularly the culture clash between native Chinese and American Chinese. And second, the person who can personify that clash best is a musician-actor who calls herself Aquafina. Oh, I was getting married, so I have to go to China. What? Since when? Has he, like, just ordained that girl? You don't need to go. No one expecting you to go. I mean, he's my only cousin. Don't you think I should be there? Aquafina, she got her name from a brand of bottled water, pretty much stole crazy rich Asians in the wacky best friend role and then did the same thing as the card sharp in Ocean's 8. Now she expands into sentimental drama comedy, The Farewell. The Farewell is more uncompromisingly Asian-oriented than the star's previous two hits. She was actually required to learn Chinese to play the role of Billy, and many of the rest of the cast are actually Chinese stars at home. The story is also very Chinese, based, as it says, on an actual lie. Billy lives in New York with her parents, though she regularly visits her beloved grandma, Nai Nai, in China. She's shocked to learn that Nai Nai is dying, and even more so when she learns no one must tell her. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. Your nan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying. When people get cancer, they die. The cover story is that Billy's cousin is about to have a hasty last-minute wedding with his new Japanese girlfriend as the excuse for the sudden family get-together. Billy is initially forbidden to come because she's most likely to spill the beans. We have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Don't you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go, then we'll find out right away. The story is so, frankly, nuts that it can only be, to coin a phrase, based on a real-life lie, and so it transpires. Writer-director Lulu Wang based it almost entirely on her own relationship with her grandmother, and star Aquafina agreed to be in the film as a present to her grandmother. Grandmothers clearly carry a lot of weight in China. Really? Zala? While the newly bankable Aquafina was clearly the lure to get the film made, reaction to the farewell has been equally attracted to veteran Chinese star Zhao Zhuzhen, who's a delight as the grandmother. The film's drama may be about keeping Nai Nai from finding out the truth, but the comedy is in watching her get closer and closer to what's going on. (laughs) 
For instance, she's very suspicious of the allegedly happy couple and why they're so keen to get married since they barely seem to know each other. And she's puzzled at the mixed messages she gets whenever she visits the doctor, particularly from Billy. Shouldn't we tell her? Isn't that wrong to lie? It's a good lie. Most families in China would choose not to tell her. What's the doctor saying, asks Grandma. Would he like to marry her granddaughter? While the film mostly rests on Billy's relationship with Nainaya, there are clearly issues between the very American Billy and her Chinese-born mother. What is it about Americans and telling everyone about their feelings, asks Mum. She's dying. Can you be a little more sensitive? What do you want from me? To scream and cry like you? Ah! <laughs> so, what's better, asks the film. The American way? Tell grandma the truth and let everyone grieve together? Or do it the Chinese way? Brush it all under the emotional carpet so that grandma can remain happy in her ignorance? I want to believe that's a good thing. It's, you'd think, a flimsy basis for a story, and there really isn't much more to the farewell than this. But the response in both America and China has been remarkably positive, inspired, I'm sure, as much by the attractive performances as by the undemanding story. A French-made film set in the Kurdish district of Iraq proved controversial when it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival this year. Male critics in particular seem to tie themselves up in knots trying to decide whether audiences would respond well to it. Audiences, on the other hand, rather liked Girls of the Sun. At the start, we meet Mathilde, played by Emmanuel Berco, a French journalist. It's 2015 and she's following the Kurdish military who are fighting ISIS in northern Iraq. One unit is noteworthy because it's entirely made up of women, all women who've escaped captivity by ISIS. En une nuit, une seule nuit, plus de 7000 femmes ont été capturées et gardées comme esclaves sexuelles. Plus de la moitié sont revenues dès les premiers mois en s'échappant ou en étant rachetées. Mathilde is the last Western journalist left. Her male colleagues have decided there's no story here now. But she remains to cover the unit and its charismatic leader, Bahar, played by Iranian actress Golshifta Farahani. Certaines d'entre elles ont encore réussi à trouver le courage d'aller se battre. Bahar tells Mathilde that in just one day, ISIS captured 7,000 women. The statistics are shocking. To be used as sex slaves for months, if not years. But some, including the women in her unit, escaped and decided to fight. Hello? Who are you? 
Baha's women, at no stage are they ever called girls of the sun, curiously, fight and kill a group of ISIS fighters, and Baha intercepts a phone call from their leader. When he claims the fighters are now in paradise, she sneers, they're just dead. It seems if you're killed by women, you no longer qualify for heaven. So, what was the problem for Cannes film critics? Well, for one thing, the mostly all-women film might have difficulty attracting men, they said. Without men in it, how could Girls of the Sun really qualify as a war film? And what about the all-important youth market? Clearly, the role of film critics is different in France from elsewhere. Not for them a simple opinion, is the film any good or not? Over there, they seem more anxious to protect audiences from something they may not like. Oddly, a men-driven film doesn't seem to need that sort of protection. Other criticisms were, believe it or not, the choice of music and the subject matter apparently being so important that turning it into drama trivialises it. Better a non-commercial documentary, argue these purists, than a drama that might attract a less discerning audience. Are they suggesting that no fictional war film has ever been made in the history of cinema? Even if you concede that the dramatising of war events is perfectly legitimate, it has to be admitted that the structure of writer-director Eva Husson's film does clunk a wee bit. Having established the character of French journalist Mathilde, she doesn't seem quite sure what to do with her. Girls of the Sun soon becomes freedom fighter Baha's story. As she heroically leads her group into battle, at the same time looking for her family, her backstory is regularly revealed in a series of clumsy flashbacks. We keep going back when we want to go forward. Baha's relationship with Mathilde is undercooked and doesn't really go anywhere. I get it that filmmaker Eva Hassan doesn't want this to be yet another film where the noble Western character saves the day. But a noble Kurd character saving the day is just as thin, unless she has a few more people to bounce off than this. A regular complaint about stories set in this part of the world that the men's behaviour is almost universally appalling makes you question how true this can be. The answer, I believe, is that it's all too true. Perhaps that's the reason for the complaints by some of their male colleagues among the can critics. Mon humanité est un peu différente des autres. Les filles sont toutes anciennes captives. 
T'as fait quoi comme étude J'étais avocate. Ça te manque But sometimes it's worth seeing a film like Girls of the Sun simply because you didn't know something, rather than because you think you know how other people are going to react to it. Why see something if you already know what's in it? And on that defense of the risky, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.